0: number 5a alpha 2 part 1 of the phenomenology of mind volume 1 by george wilhelm Friedrich hegel translated by james black bailey this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 5a alpha 2 part 1 the observation of organic nature organic existence is this absolutely fluid condition wherein the determinateness which alone would make it a definite entity for another Is dissolved. Inorganic things involve determinateness in their very essence, and on that account the thing realises the completeness of the moments of the notion only along with another thing, and hence gets lost when it enters the dialectic movement. In the case of an organic being on the other hand, all determinate characteristics by means of which it is palpable to another are held under the control of the simple organising unity none of them come forward as essential and capable of detaching itself from the rest and relating itself to another organic being what is organic therefore preserves itself in its very relation The aspects of law on which the instinct of reason directs its observation here are as we see from above in the first instance organic nature and inorganic nature in their relation to one another the latter means for organic nature just the free play a freedom opposed to the formal principle of organic nature of those loosely floating characteristics in which the nature in its individual components is at once dissolved and out of the continuity of which the individuated elements of nature are at the same time resolved and exist separately. Air, water, earth, zones, climate are universal elements of this sort which make up the indeterminate simple being of natural individualities and in which these are at the same time reflected into themselves. Neither the individuality nor the natural element is absolutely self-contained. On the contrary The independent detachment, which observation finds these assuming towards one another, they stand at the same time in essential relation to one another, but in such a way that their independence and mutual indifference from the predominating feature, and only in part, become abstractions. Here then Law applies as the relation of an element to the formative process of the organic being, which at one moment has the element over against itself, at another exhibits it within its own self-determining organic nature. But laws like these, animals belonging to the air are of the nature of birds, those belonging to water have the constitution of fish, animals in northerly latitudes have thick coats of hair, and so on. Such laws indicate a degree of poverty which does not do justice to the manifold variety of organic nature. Besides the fact that the free activity of organic nature can readily divest its forms of determinate characters like these, and everywhere presents of necessity exceptions to such laws or rules, as we might call them, the characterization of those very animals to which they do apply is so very superficial that even the necessity of the laws can be nothing else but superficial too, and does not carry us further than what is implied in speaking of the great influence of environment on the organism. And this does not tell us what properly falls under that influence and what does not. Such like relations of organic beings to the elements they live in cannot therefore be strictly called laws at all, for on the one hand such a relation when we look at its content does not exhaust, as we saw, the range of the organic beings considered, and on the other the terms of the relation itself stand indifferently apart from one another and convey no necessity. In the concept of an acid lies the notion of a base, just as the notion of a positive electricity implies that of negative, but even though we do find that as a fact a thick coat of hair associated with an northerly latitude, the structure of a fish with water, or that with birds with air, there is nothing in the notion of the north implying the notion of a thick covering of hair, the notion of a structure of fish does not lie in the notion of the sea, nor does that of birds in the air. Because of this free detachment of the two notions from one another, there are, as a fact, also land animals, with the essential characteristics of a bird, a fish, and so on. The necessity just because it cannot be conceived to be an inner necessity of the object, ceases also to have a foothold in sense, and can be no longer observed in actual reality, but has quitted the sphere of reality. Finding thus no place in the real object itself, it becomes what is called a teleological relation, a relation which is external to what is related, and consequently the very reverse of a law in its constitution. It is an idea entirely detached from the necessity of nature, a thought which leaves the necessity of nature behind and floats above it all by itself. Translators note, compare the above with the oscillation between the mechanical and teleological conception of law in theoretical biology. If the relationship above alluded to, of organic existence to the elemental conditions of nature does not express its true being, the notion of purpose on the other hand does contain it. The observing attitude does not indeed take the view to be the genuine essence of organic existence, this notion seems to it to fall outside the real nature of the organism and is then merely that external teleological relation above mentioned. Yet looking at how the organic being was previously characterised, the organic is in point of fact just realized concrete purpose. For since itself maintains itself in relation to another, it is just that kind of natural existence in which natural reflects itself into in the notion, and the moments of necessity separated out, by understanding, are cause and effect and active and passive are here brought together and combined into a single unity. In this way we have here not only something appearing as a result of necessity, but because it has returned to itself, the last or the result is just as much the first which starts the process, and is to itself the purpose which it realises. What is organic does not produce something, it merely conserves itself, for what is produced is as much there already as produced. We must elucidate this principle more fully, both as it is in itself, and as it is for the instinct of reason, in order to see how reason finds itself there, but does not know itself in what it finds. The concept of purpose, then, which rational observation has reached is, while reason has apprehended it in consciousness, given to reason as something actually real as well. It is not merely an external relation of the actual, but its inner being. This actual, which is itself a purpose, is related purposively to another, i.e. its relation is a contingent one with respect to what both are immediately. Prima facie, they are both self-subsistent and indifferent to one another. The real nature of their relation, however, is something different to what they thus appear to be, and its effect has another meaning than sense-perception directly finds. The necessity inherent in the process is concealed, and comes out at the end, but in such a way that this very end shows it to have been also the first. The end, however, shows this priority of itself by the fact that nothing comes out of the alternation of the act produced, but what was there already. Or again, if we start from what is first, this in coming in the end, or in the result of its act, merely returns to itself, and just by doing so it demonstrates itself to be that which has itself at its end. That is to say, qua first, it has already returned to itself, or is self-contained. It is in and for itself. What then, it arrives at by the process of its action, is itself. And its arriving merely at itself means feeling itself, it is self-feeling. Thus we have here, no doubt, the distinction between what it is and what it seeks. But this is merely the semblance of a distinction and consequently is a notion in its very nature. This is exactly, however, the way self-consciousness is constituted. It distinguishes itself in the same manner from itself without any distinction being thereby established. Hence it is that it finds in the observation of organic nature nothing else than this kind of reality. It finds itself in the form of a thing, as a life, and yet between what it is in itself and what it has found draws a distinction which is, however, no distinction. Just as the instinct of an animal is to seek and consume food, but it does not thereby get beyond itself, similarly the instinct of reason in its seeking merely finds reason itself. An animal ends with self-feeling. The instinct of reason, on the other hand, is at the same time self-consciousness but because it is merely instinct it is put on one side, as against consciousness, and in the latter finds its opposite. Its satisfaction is, therefore, broken in two by this opposite. It finds itself, viz. the purpose and also finds the purpose in the shape of the thing. But the purpose is seen to lie, in the first instance, apart from the thing, presenting itself as a purpose. In the second place, this purpose qua purpose Is at the same time objective. It is taken to fall, therefore, not within the observing consciousness but within another intelligence. Looked at more closely, there lies in the notion of the thing this character as well, that of being in itself a purpose. It preserves itself. This at once means it is its nature to conceal the necessity controlling it and present that necessity in the form of a contingent relation. For its freedom, its being on its own account, means just that it behaves towards its necessary condition as something indifferent. It thus sets itself out to be something whose notion falls apart from its existence. In the same way reason is compelled, by letting its own proper notion fall outside it, to look at itself as a thing and that towards which it is indifferent, and which in consequence is reciprocally indifferent towards it reason, and towards its own notion. Qua instinct it continues to remain within this state of being, this condition of indifference, and the thing expressing the notion remains for it something other than this notion, and the notion other than the thing. Thus for reason, the thing organised is only a purpose per se, in the sense that the necessity which lies concealed within the action of the thing, for the active agency there takes up the attitude of being indifferent and isolated, falls outside the organism itself, Since, however, the organic qua purpose, per se, cannot behave in any other way than as organic, the fact of its being per se a purpose is also apparent and sensibly present, and as such observed. What is organic shows itself when observed to be something self-preserving, returning and returned to itself, But in this state of being observation does not recognise the concept of purpose and does not know the notion of purpose is not an intelligence anywhere else but just exists here and in the form of a thing. Observation makes a distinction between the concept of purpose and self-existence and self-preservation, which is not a distinction at all. That it is no distinction is something of which it was not aware. What it is aware of is an act which appears contingent and indifferent towards what is brought about by that act, and towards the unity which is all the while the principle connecting both. That act and this purpose are taken to fall asunder. On this view the special function of the organic is to be the inner operating activity lying in between its first and last purpose, so far as this action implies the character of singleness. So far, however, as the action has the character of universality, and the active agent is equated with what is the outcome of its operation, this purposive action as such would not seem to belong to the function of organic beings. That individual action, which is merely a means, comes owing to the individual form to be determined by an entirely individual or contingent necessity. What an organic being does for the preservation of itself as an individual of itself qua genus, is therefore quite lawless as regards this immediate content, for notion and universal fall outside it. Its action would accordingly be empty agency, without any content in it. It would not even be the efficiency of a machine, for this has a purpose, and its activity in consequence a definite content. If it were deserted in this way by the universal, it would be an activity of a mere being qua being, i.e., it would be an activity not forthwith reflected onto itself, like that of an acid or a base, one which could not be cut off from its immediate existence, nor give up this existence that gets lost when related to its opposite, but would be able to preserve itself. This kind of being, whose activity is here under consideration, is, however, set down as a thing preserving itself in its relation to its opposite. The activity, as such, Is nothing but the bare, insubstantial form of its independent existence on its own account, and the purpose of the activity, its substance, a substance which is not simply a determinate being, but the universal, does not fall outside the activity. It is an activity reverting into itself by its own nature, and is not turned back into itself by any alien external agency. The notion of universality in activity, however, is not a matter for this attitude of observation because that unity is essentially the inner movement of what is organic, and can only be apprehended conceptually. Observation, however, seeks the moments in the form of existence and duration, and because the organic whole consists essentially in not containing these moments in that form, and in not letting them be found within that way, this observing consciousness, by its way of looking at the matter, transforms the opposition into one which conforms and is adapted to its own point of view. An organism comes before the observing consciousness in this manner as a way of relating two fixed and existing moments as a relation of elements in an opposition whose two factors seem in one respect really given in observation while in another respect as regards their content they express the opposition of the organic conception of purpose and actual reality. But because the notion as such is there effaced this takes place in an obscure and superficial way where thought sinks to the level of mere ideal presentation. Thus we see the notion taken much in the sense of what is inner, reality in the sense of what is outer, and their relation gives rise to the law that the outer is the expression of the inner. Let us consider more closely this inner with its opposite and their relation to one another. In the first place, we find the two factors of the law no longer have such an import as we found in the case of previous laws, where the elements appeared as independent things, each being a particular body. Nor again, in the second place, do we find the universal is to have an existence somewhere else outside what actually is. On the contrary, the organic being is, in its undivided oneness, and as a whole, the fundamental fact. In the content of the inner and outer, it is the same for both. The opposition is, on that account, of a purely formal character. Its real sides have the same ultimate principle, inherently constituting them what they are. At the same time, however, since inner and outer are also opposite realities, and each is a distinct being for observation, they each seem to observation to have a peculiar content of their own. This peculiar content since it consists of the same substance or the same organic unity can however in point of fact be only a different form of that unity of that substance and this is indicated by observation when it says the outer is merely the expression of the inner we have seen in the case of the concept of purpose the same characteristic features of this relation viz the indifferent independence of the diverse factors and their unity in that independence a unity in which they disappear We have now to see what shape and embodiment inner and outer assume in actually existing. The inner as such must have an outer being and an embodiment just as much as the outer as such, for the inner is an object, or is affirmed as being, and there is observation to deal with. The organic substance, qua inner, is the soul. Simply the pure notion of purpose, or the universal, which is dividing it into discrete elements, remain all the same a universal fluent continuity, and hence in its being appears as action or the moment of vanishing reality, while on the other hand the outer opposed to that existing inner subsists in the passive being of the organic. The law as the relation of that inner to this outer consequently expresses its content now by setting forth universal moments or simple essential elements and again by setting forth the realised essential nature or the form and shape actually assumed. Those first simple organic properties, to call them so, are sensibility, irritability, and reproduction. These properties, at least the two first, seem indeed to refer not to the organism in general, but merely to the animal organism. The vegetable level of organic life too expresses in point of fact only the bare and simple notion of organism, which does not develop and evolve its moments. Hence, in regard to those moments, so far as observation has to take account of them, we must confine ourselves to the organism which presents them existing in developed form. As to these moments then, they are directly derived from the notion of self-purpose, of a being whose end is its own self. For sensibility expresses in general the simple notion of organic reflection into itself, or the universal continuity of this notion. Irritability again expresses organic elasticity, The capacity to exercise the function of reacting simultaneously with self reflection and expresses, in contrast to the previous state of being passively and inertly within itself, the condition of being explicitly actualized, a realization where that abstract existence for its own sake comes to be an existence for something else. Reproduction, however, is the operation of this entire self reflected organism, its activity as having its purpose in itself, its activity qua genus wherein the individual repels itself from itself, where it repeats by procreation either the organic parts or the whole individual. Reproduction, taken in the sense of self-preservation in general, expresses the formal principle or conception of the organic, or the fact of sensibility. But it is, properly speaking, the realised notion of organic existence or the whole, which either qua individual returns into itself through the process of producing individual parts of itself, or qua genus does so through the production of distinct individuals the other significance of these organic elements viz as outer is their embodiment in a given shape here they assume the form of actual but at the same time universal parts or appear as organic systems sensibility is embodied in the form for instance of a nervous system irritability of a muscular system reproduction of an intestinal system for the preservation of the individual and the species, laws peculiar to organic life accordingly concern a relation of the organic moments, taking account of their twofold significance viz., of being in one respect a part of the definite organic formation or embodiment, and in another respect a continuous universal element of a determinate kind, running through all these systems. Thus, in giving expression to a law of that sort, a specific kind of sensibility, e.g., would find qua moment of the whole organism its expression in a determinately formed nervous system, or it would also be connected with a determinate reproduction of the organic parts of the individual or with the propagation of the whole and so on. Both aspects of such a law can be observed. The external is in its very conception being for another, sensibility, for example it finds immediately realised form in the sensitive system, and qua universal property It is in its outer expressions, an objective fact as well. The aspect which is called inner has its own outer aspect which is distinct from what is in general called the outer. Both the aspects of an organic law would thus certainly be open to observation, but not the laws of their relation, and observation does not manage to do that, not because qua observation it would be too short-sighted, and should not proceed empirically, but should start from the idea, for such laws, if they were something real, must, as a matter of fact, be actual, and must thus be observable. It is rather because the thoughts of laws of this sort proved to have no truth at all. It was put forward as a law that the universal organic property had formed itself in an organic system into a thing, and there found its own embodied image and copy, so that both were the same reality, present in the one case as a universal moment, in the other as a thing but besides the inner aspect is also for itself a relation of several aspects and hence to begin with the idea of a law is presented as the thought of a relation of universal organic activities or properties to one another whether such a law is possible It has to be decided from the nature of the property in question. Such a property, however, being universal and of a fluid nature, is, on the one hand, not something restricted like a thing, keeping itself within the distinction of a definite mode of existence, which is to constitute its shape and form, sensibility goes beyond the nervous system and pervades all the other systems of the organism. On the other hand, such a property is a universal moment, which is essentially undivided, And inseparable from reactions or irritability and reproduction. For being reflection into itself it eo ipso already implies reaction. Merely to be reflected into itself is to be a passive or lifeless being and not sensibility. Just as action which is the same as reaction when not reflected into itself is not irritability. Reflection in action or reaction and action or reaction in reflection is just that whose unity constitutes the organic being, a unity which is synonymous with organic reproduction. It follows from this that in every form of reality there must be present the same quantity of sensibility, since we are considering, in the first instance, the relation of sensibility and irritability to one another, as of irritability and that organic phenomenon can be apprehended and determined or, if we like, explained just as much in terms of the one as of the other what one man takes for high sensibility, another may just as rightly consider high irritability, and an irritability of the same degree. If they are called factors, and this is not to be a meaningless phrase, it is thereby expressly stated that they are moments of the notion. In other words, the real object, the essential nature of which the notion constitutes, contains them both alike within it. And if the object is in one way characterised as very sensitive, it can also be spoken of in the other way as likewise irritable. If they are distinguished as they must be, they are so in principle, and their opposition is qualitative. But when besides this true distinction they are also set down as extant and presented as different, as they would be if they were aspects of the law, they would appear quantitatively different. Their peculiar qualitative opposition thus passes into quantity. And hence arise laws of this sort, e.g., that sensibility and irritability stand in inverse quantitative relations, so that when the one increases the other diminishes, or better, taking directly the quantity itself as the content, that the magnitude of something increases as its smallness diminishes. Should a more specific content be given to this law, however, by saying, for example, that the size of a hole increases the more we decrease what it is filled with, then this inverse relation might just as well be changed into a direct relation and expressed in the form that the quantity of the hole increases in direct ratio to the amount of things we take away. A tautological proposition, whether expressed as a direct or an inverse relation, so expressed it comes merely to this that a quantity increases as this quantity increases. The whole and what fills it And is removed from it are qualitatively opposed but the real content there and its specific quantity are both one and the same and similarly the increase of quantity and decrease of smallness are the same and their meaningless opposition runs into a tautology. In like manner the organic moments are equally inseparable in their real content and in their quantity which is the quantity of that reality one decreases only with the other, and only decreases with it, for one has literally a significance only in as far as the other is present. Or rather, it is a matter of indifference whether an organic phenomenon is considered as an irritability or as a sensibility. This is so in general, and likewise when its quantity is in question, just as it is indifferent whether we speak of the increase of a whole as an increase in the whole qua emptiness, or in the increase of a filling removed from it. Or again, a number, say 3, is equally great whether I take it positively or negatively, and if I increase it the 3 to 4, the positive as well as the negative becomes 4, just as a south pole in the case of a magnet is precisely as strong as its north pole, or a positive electricity or an acid is exactly as strong as its negative or the base on which it operates. An organic existence is also such a magnitude or quantity like the number 3 or the magnet etc. It is that which is increased or diminished and if it is increased then both its factors are increased as much as both poles of the magnet or both kinds of electricity increase if the potential or of a magnet or if one of the electric currents is raised that both are just as little different in intention and extension that the one cannot decrease in extension and increase in intention or While the other conversely has to diminish in its intention and increase in its extension, this comes from the same notion of an unreal and empty opposition. The real intention is absolutely as great as the extension and vice versa. What really happens in the framing of a law of this kind is obviously that at the outset irritability and sensibility are taken to constitute the specifically determinate organic opposition this content however is lost sight of and the opposition goes off in a formal opposition of quantitative increase and diminution or of different intention and extension an opposition which has no longer anything to do with the nature of sensibility and irritability and no longer expresses it hence this mere playing at law-making is not confined to organic moments but can be carried on everywhere with everything, and rests in general on want of acquaintance with the logical nature of these oppositions Lastly, if instead of sensibility and irritability, reproduction is brought into relation with one another of them, then here too we fail to find any occasion for framing laws of this kind. For reproduction does not stand in any opposition to these moments, and they are not opposed to one another. And since the making of such laws assumes this opposition, there is no possibility here of its even appearing to take place. End of chapter 5a, alpha 2. Part one recording by Morrison Arsie Bedfordshire